0: Good morning, Southbrook. Hey, we are uh, starting this new series, as Steve mentioned earlier. But before I talk about that, I want to have some really good news for you. Um, last Sunday, as one of our City Lights pastors, along with Steve Holt, who was up here earlier, uh, and Leah Sparling, uh, we uh, put out over, well, we put out 500 backpacks to be taken out. And with uh, those backpacks, inside was a a list of uh, school needs school supplies for various schools we're partnering with through this backpack initiative and all 500 were taken and there are others who said hey we want one but the backpacks are all gone so we took uh, some of the school lists and they're just gonna purchase backpacks and fills but every one of them were taken and uh, it's just amazing we yes we love 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 partnering with our, our community schools and uh, to provide Uh, Things like this for under-resourced students and if you still want to participate you can there are still lists out there You just pick up the uh, pick up that list get your backpack and fill it up We need all those back by August the 6th. So we uh, that's our date that we're gonna then beyond that be Delivering them to our various schools. So but thank you so much Uh, One of the core strengths of Southbrook. I've noticed this since since we first started coming here is is generosity Uh, it never fails to amaze me how responsive and how generous you all are and we just thank you thank you thank you so much because it's like that we have these these initiatives we're able to fulfill if you want to continue doing that or if you want to do this on a regular basis uh, you can always go to pushpay.com that's one of the electronic resources we use to be, be able to provide the opportunities for generosity. there's also some boxes around the uh, the auditorium here or you can go out to the atrium, into the main information center and get more information about how you can be a provider and a generous supporter as well. So, But thank you. This is a new series. It's called Anti-Fragile. Now, if, you're, uh, if you've been involved in Player's Box, you might have recognized that word because it's a word that I know that they use as one of the axioms of Player's Box. But if you're not in Player's Box, you're, you may be wondering, well, why use kind of a negative word? As opposed to maybe using a positive word that kind of says the same thing as anti-fragile. Why speak of it in the negative? We understand what fragile is. Fragile is, uh, if you've seen, if you've been putting away like valuable things in boxes to store or to move or to do something like that, you always mark it fragile handle with care. And when you see that, you know that you don't want to stack boxes on this. You want to carefully lift it and move it. We understand what fragile means. But what about anti-fragile. The word "anti," the the prefix, uh, four-letter prefix, we think of it as being an opposition of, or a contrast to, or something along that line. Uh, we hear the words anti-histamine, antidepressants, antibacteria, antibiotics, um, anti-Christ. You know, we we have all these words that "anti" means different than or opposed to. Um, there's an author who has written a book called Antifragile. I know this book is being used in a player's box, and it's, uh, the author's name is uh, uh, Nahasim Nicholas Talib T-A-L-E-B, Talib. And in this book, he talks about how certain things actually benefit from stress. Like he talks about the human bones. The human bones in our body actually need stress in order to develop strength. And so he uses that same, that same thought then to say, because there's no really word that in his opinion that really is the, the anti to, to uh, fragile, he uses the word anti-fragile. And so he says this. He says, uh, many things in life benefit from stress, disorder, volatility, and turmoil. Some of you are thinking, that's every day in my home with kids. <laughs> well, maybe this is why you need this series then. Uh, although I don't know that you say, but that we benefit from that. We actually kind of want to resolve that. But he talks about that, that there are certain things in life that actually benefit, that they need that kind of thing in order to get to its greatest strength. And that's so therefore he uses the word antifragile. So what does an antifragile life look like then? Paul's going to mention in his text that we're going to use where he says, take heart, we've overcome the world, but he says, I want you to don't lose heart. I want you to have a life that is able to have courage and not lose heart when, when we face adversity. In fact, if you think about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, really it's all about kingdom life, but kingdom life is really about being anti-fragile. In fact, he concludes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 by saying, and he uses this analogy of a building of house builders. He says anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on what a Firm foundation a rock which was much more intentional. It wasn't readily available. It was more expensive more laborious um, So you had to really look for that and build sometimes had to dig down deep in order to find that that rock foundation but he says when you build upon this anti-fragile foundation this rock foundation Then not if, but when the storms come, when the winds blow, not if, but when, then that house will stand because it's on an anti-fragile foundation, strong foundation. But anyone, Jesus says, who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. is like building a house on sand, readily available, economical, quick, easy, much easier than rock. However, it's fragile. Because he said, not if, but when the storms come. Not if, but when the winds blow and beat against that house, it's much more likely to collapse or fall or cause damage. And again, this is an analogy of life. You build life on an anti-fragile foundation, When those things happen in our lives when suffering happens when adversity happens, then we're able to to take heart and overcome the world But if we're building our life on on a fragile foundation We're gonna talk about what that means this whole series is about about what anti-fragile versus fragile is Then when those things happen in life It's gonna cause damage and possibly even cause your life to collapse and be shattered So what's that like listen to our text in in uh, 2nd Corinthians? Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, I'm going to, in this text, I'm going to point out three different things. We'll talk about a challenge. We'll talk about a warning. Then we'll talk about a promise. So here's the challenge. Having therefore, by the way, anytime you see a therefore, you kind of want to look back to see what what is therefore. And so Paul is, is intimately tying this verse, this passage, with what he's been saying before in our previous a series on on the new covenant. So therefore since we have this new covenant Since we're living under this a covenant of grace Having this ministry by the mercy of God. We do not lose heart But we have renounced this graceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's We don't need to do that because we've got the truth by the but by the open statement of the truth We would commend ourselves to everyone conscious in the sight of God now. Here's the warning And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And now here's the promise. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, The same god from the very beginning of creation let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ this is god's word now the challenge isn't our culture would you agree with me and you don't have to answer this out loud unless you want to that we live in a very fragile culture maybe more so than ever before you have to watch what you say watch what you do I mean it is it is crazy it is so fragile people our, our emotions are just you say the wrong thing or park in the wrong spot or or make the wrong turn or don't don't go through the green light as quickly as you should and and immediately there's there's people getting angry over the simplest of things emotions are just running hot so quickly we were talking about this in Charlie's leadership class this past Thursday about how how there's just this hardly any restraint to emotions anymore it is just it is just full bore I was talking to the owner of the coffee hub and, and she's our neighbor and and we were talking about this series and she's oh my goodness we this is something we really need and and she was saying someone came into one of her one of their stores and ordered a drink of some sort I don't remember what it was and a muffin well the employee didn't get the drink correctly but this person just kind of exploded and just went berserk and said it's okay I' I'll give you a refund for, for your drink, or I'll make you a new one. So give, give me the refund. So she gave her the refund. She says, well, do I get a refund for my, for, my, uh, for my muffin? She says, well, where is it? Well, I ate it. And, Wait a minute. You want a refund for a muffin that you ate? I don't know if she gave it to her or not. But I, that, and that's just a simple, simple story. And we can get much, much bigger than that with, with violence and with, with shootings and all that. We live in a fragile, fragile culture. And we need more and more of those who are unfragile or anti-fragile. And so the challenge is, is how, we, how do we live in a life, an anti-fragile life in a fragile culture? One of the verses we're going to be talking about throughout this series is in verse 16, where Paul says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And Paul is kind of writing this with the assumption that, that his readers were well aware of this. That it wasn't something brand new that it was a given. And, he, and scholars will agree that he's not just talking about the physical body. That's how we usually interpret that, don't we? We think about immediately the physical body. And yes, we are wasting away, but uh, but we're being renewed day by day. He's talking about life in general. Everything in this visible world. In fact, in the, in the Greek language, the, uh, Paul is using the, what's called a present progressive, which means it's happening now, but it's also progressing and continually progressing. So literally, in this visible world, everything is slowing down, everything is irreversibly receding, everything. Aren't you glad you came today to church? Isn't this great news? So physically, our bodies, yes, our bodies are, if you're past 30, are slowing down and, and irreversibly receding, you know. Uh, our, our hearts have a, have a finite number of ticks. We are not an electric clock. Our hearts are more like some of you don't even know what a wind-up clock is, but, but at least it has a battery. And that battery is not a rechargeable battery. Once that battery is gone, it's gone. We, we're so well aware of, of athletes in their in their prime physical peak condition. Bronny James, just this past week, the son of LeBron James, a freshman at University of Southern California, a phenomenal athlete, has a cardiac arrest and is hospitalized. Familiar with the Damar Hamlin story, I mean and these are all over the we have a finite number our bodies are slowly Wearing away your physical appearance is slowly wearing away. I don't care how much money you put into it And what my I don't care how many injections you have I don't care how many surgeries you have some of you remember I think it was Phyllis Diller Comedy comic of the past she used to make fun of her appearance in all of her surgeries. She says I've had so many facelifts the dimple on my chin is really my belly button We are slowly, slowly, slowly wearing away Uh, families, relationships. We have broken relationships, families. We have family members pass away. Our skills. uh, You can't always stay on top of your game. So again, this world is, visible world is, is wasting away. But we are renewed day by day. Now here's the warning. Apparently... Paul is writing this second letter somewhat to at least respond to opposition that he's hearing in the Corinthian church about his authority and his connection with God. Many of them were saying, Well, and it's almost like a sidebar, you can almost hear them conversing, Well, Paul, if you were really God's spokesperson, then why? Have all these bad things happened to you? And Paul lists them. In fact, if you read ahead in chapter 11, Paul goes down and, and gives a list of all the bad things that's been happening to him in his life. He's been shipwrecked three times. He's been uh, five times beaten with 39 lashes. He's been in prison. He's been stoned and gone on and on and on. And so some of them are saying, Paul, if you were really God's spokesperson, then why are all these bad things happening? You should be successful. You should be prospering. You should be in great health. Some of you remember, and we're going to study this too, where Paul says, uh, he prays about his thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what that was, but he prays over and over and over again, God, would you please remove this thorn in the flesh? And God's answer was no. But God's answer wasn't finished. He says, no, my grace is sufficient. Just lean on me. My grace is sufficient. In fact, God says to Paul, my power is perfected in your weakness. People will see my power even in your weakness. And so then Paul says, well, then I'll gladly boast all the more. So he's not giving this list of bad things to, to say, woe is me, please. I'm, I'm, the, I'm a victim in all this. I'm playing this role of a victim. No, he's saying, I'm doing this because I'm glorying in the power of Christ and his gospel because the God of this world, here's the warning: the God of this world wants to blind us from seeing that light. There's a some of you remember the movie uh, The Croods back in 2013. A delightful story about a cave family living in a cave, and uh, uh, Grug, the father, his daily warning to his family was says this: he says, "Never leave the cave." new is bad don't ever not be afraid and that was his warning so they lived in this cave and if it weren't for this anti-fragile daughter eep who appears to be a little rebellious and all that but but as i look at her i say that word describes eep you know so she is she says there's more to life than this and so she is willing to take the risk And she moves out, she sneaks out and she finds this glorious world outside full of beauty and full of light, not like the cave they were living in. And as a result of this movie, she's able to lead her family into this new world that they didn't even know existed, but it's glorious and it's beautiful. And the God of this age wants to blind us from that light, wants to keep us living in a cave, living in this this life of of pursuing fragile things as opposed to the anti-fragile things of God. Here's the promise. Because typically, we don't uh, don't give attention to the inward part of our being until something happens. I'm looking forward this week to the Global Leadership Summit. I love it. It's one of my annual um, things I mark on my calendar to make sure I... I'm able to attend last year's summit one of the speakers i'd never heard of before name is judah smith Gave a talk and I was inter- immediately interested in what he had to say because he talks about his new book And I went out and purchased his book and read it and it was a game changer And his book was written on, based upon a verse in third john chapter 2 Where john says beloved he's writing to a friend of his beloved I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Well, that's interesting. We oftentimes ask the question, hey, how you doing? How's your, how's your health? Very few people have ever asked me, hey, how's your soul? I'm wanted to, I'm very, I understand my family has uh, as heart disease all through my family on, on the creamer side my brother and I both have had a heart event Where surgery was required and that was even when we felt like we were in, in good health So but we take that very seriously. I have my annual checkups on my cardiologist I I'm out in the Sun a lot. So I have my regular checkups with my dermatologist and I I take all those things very seriously I take my weight and my my eating habits all that's very seriously. That's all about my physical health What am I doing for my soul? Have you had a soul checkup recently? What's that? What's what's, what's that all about? Well, I come to church. Is that enough? Does that count? Oh, maybe. Unless it's like you go to your doctor and your doctor tells you all these things to do and not do and how to how to take care of yourself. You walk out and say, Well, I checked my doctor. I've been to my doctor, but I'm not doing anything he told me or she told me to do. That doesn't count. But the promise that's involved in this whole text, and this is where the news gets really, really good. As Paul's writing to defend all these bad things that happened to his life, he's validating the power and the presence of God. Even in spite of the suffering, God is with me. His grace is sufficient. His power is perfected in my weakness. He's validating the presence and power of the gospel. When you suffer for doing right, when you suffer for the truth when you suffer for justice or just for people or just because of things that happen in life then you are demonstrating the power of god i love it when people share with me about a healing i mean i i, I will praise god along with everyone else say thank you god that there's that just immediate perfect complete healing but let me tell you something i also praise god for those who say you know what i did god didn't heal me god said no somehow but he's still my He's still my power. He's still the presence of my life. He's going to help me to endure this adversity in my life. And I'm thankful to God for that. Dr. Tim Keller is uh, one of the scholars that he was deceased about a couple months ago, but boy, he's written some amazing things. And in his book uh, on suffering, he says this He says, The way you live now, your present behavior and character is determined primarily by what you believe about your ultimate future. Think about that. Your behavior, the way you live, your character is determined primarily by what you believe about your ultimate future. You say, well, what is our ultimate future? What is our hope? Well, heaven. Yes. But Keller says this, if it's, if it's just heaven, I don't mean the word just as bad, but if that's it, then what got what you're looking for is more of a compensation for all the bad things that's happened to you in your life and for, or or for the things you missed out on doing like FOMO your bucket list didn't get completed and so heaven would do that compensation which is why a lot of people say hey I uh I want to go to heaven for sure because that beats the alternative but I just don't want to go right now and I don't I don't really want to think about that right now I just don't want to don't wanna even have that in my mind because I love this life I love this life too Maybe that's what Paul was meant when he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Hmm. But if, Keller says, the future is a new heaven and a new earth, then our hope is not just compensation. It's restoration. It's restoration of the world and life we've always wanted. And that changes everything. Um... We have three children. My youngest, Mo, many of you know, because she's a, a part of here, part of Strip Church, Dayton, and all that. But uh, Michonne was born, she's an October baby. And I share that with you because then the following summer, because we love boating and we love the lakes, then she was out that next summer, pretty much all summer long. We had a nice safe place up underneath the boat, where uh, underneath the boat, up underneath the dash, where, where she could be... She could be safe and secure. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I can reverse that and strike that from the notes or not. But So she's very safe and shielded from the sun and all that. And, but she loved being in the water. We'd have her in the water. We had her life jacket on, and she was just she just loved it. Loved, loved, loved the water. She was never afraid of it. Uh, I actually skied with her the following summer when she was 18 months old. I shared that story in Xenia one time. And I vowed I'd never share it again because I had mothers looking darts at me when I said that I Showed a picture of me skiing with her and these mothers were looking at me like you idiot. I Can't believe you did that well, It was totally totally safe. I you know, she her never her face never even got wet I, I knew what I was doing. She loved it She had a blast of her time she had a great time But I say that because she was never afraid of the water and her other two kids weren't either because we took them all They did all swimming lessons I remember and some of you will relate to this story even though it not didn't happen exactly like this But you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. I remember one night in particular I was asleep in a deep sleep and I started dreaming having a nightmare Because one of the things I noticed about Michonne is she would be walking along the pier and along the dock and because she had no fear said, Michonne, you know get away from the dock a little bit get away from the edge and I had this nightmare that my kids all fell in the water and the other two were able because they could swim a little bit. They could swim, but, and and Michonne just, it was too deep. And I remember we I dove in in the dream, and I can't see her, the water's dark, and she doesn't make it. And I woke up, and I was sweating. But all of a sudden I realized this was a dream. I can't tell you how joyful. How relieved I felt! Some of you were relating this. I know you know this. You've had similar dreams, and I wanted to rush into the room and grab all the kids and hug them. And all this three o'clock in the morning, probably something like that. They say, "Dad, what is wrong with you?" But they couldn't figure it. But I—I I was so relieved. Listen, here's the point I want to make. Everything—if we have this new heavens and new earth—everything you've ever experienced bad in your life is like a nightmare from which you have awakened. With a new appreciation and a new joy. And that's the ultimate defeat of evil. The ultimate defeat of evil. So, what do I want I want you to do today? How do we how do we develop this anti fragile life? Well, it begins in Austin talked about this last week. It begins with the Holy Spirit, with the presence of God's grace. You can try to do this on your own if you want to. You can try to work real hard at developing an anti-fragile spirit, but it's going to come short. Because ultimately, what is your future? You've got to answer that question. And if your future is a new heavens and a new earth, then that's what gives us that confidence. That's what gives us that, that assurance of the presence of God and the power of God in our life that's where it comes from and so we're leading this whole series up to big splash on august the last sunday of august august 27th and we're hoping that many of you are are ready to to drive a stake in the ground and say hey this is the beginning i want an anti-fragile life and it starts with the presence of jesus christ in your life that's where it starts so i would encourage you to talk to people find find some examples in your life of of People who you say you you're an anti-fragile person. I want to talk to you I want to I want to ask some questions about you read some of the biographies of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and and Nelson Mandela and Jared Tolkien and and all and and just just read some of the stories that they've written, or they're about their lives. I, I love. After going to Poland, I I visited Birkenauer and, and Auschwitz, and I that it was a game changer for me. And I can't tell you how many books I've read about Holocaust survivors and their anti-fragile spirits. I want that same kind of an anti-fragile spirit. I want to share with you one final story. I'm not sure why I thought of this young man. When I did, because I really haven't had a conversation with him for several years. But I did. And I thought of many people here in this congregation, many other people that I know. And and but uh but for whatever reason, this young man came to my mind. So I want to share with you his story. His name is Chase Wolf. He's the second oldest son of four. Of Travis and Emily wolf. I married this couple or officiated their wedding. I didn't marry them I officiated their wedding as well as a number of other pe- members of their family I've also conducted some of their funerals of this of this family. I've known them my entire adult life And Chase is the second oldest of this of this couple He and his brothers were all members and uh, star football players of the Clinton Massey high school or Division four school not far from Wilmington. They play a really tough football schedule and it's real interesting because uh, Chase played with With his older brother Bailey for three years in high school And then chase played with his younger brother Caleb for for the last for his senior year So he got to play with two of his brothers in his high school career, which I think is amazing And they were all were just phenomenal athletes uh, they won back-to-back state championships in 2012 and 2013 Chase's senior year he won regional honors as a running back received a scholarship to attend Lindsey Wilson College in Columbia, Kentucky to play football for the Raiders. As a super healthy, robust 18-year-old boy, the prime of his physical life and the prime of his conditioning. I mean just graduated and a month away from starting his collegiate career was July of 2015. He and some friends, along with his dad and his brothers, took a trip to West Virginia to a 90-acre mountain um, scene doing just some guy things, and they just wanted to have a good time. There's nothing, nothing crazy, nothing reckless. Uh, they shot guns. They went whitewater rafting. They rode ATVs. And it was on the 12th of July, eight years ago, on the last day of their trip, a few of them took the side-by-side back up the mountain. They took some of the same trails they had rode, uh, ridden the, the nights before, except this time Chase was driving the Polaris Ranger on his way back. Chase misjudged a turn, realized it was too late to correct. Two wheels had already gone off the road, causing the Ranger to flip and roll down the mountain. Chase was thrown in the vehicle, and a 1,000-pound Ranger rolled over on top. While Wolf's friends escaped the accident and with cuts and bruises, they realized that his injuries were much more serious. So they held him in a stable position called 911. In Chase's own words, and this is amazing to me, he says, to this day, I can still remember everything perfectly. My brother's screaming on the phone for help, my friends holding me up so I wouldn't roll any further down the mountain and trying to get up but realizing that I couldn't feel anything below my waist. With Chase's father, Travis, and his brothers, Bailey and J.T., by his side, he was flown to Ruby Memorial Hospital in Morgantown, West Virginia. It was there that they learned that Chase had suffered a shattered 12th thoracic vertebrae, a fractured first lumbar vertebrae, an injured spinal cord that left him, paralyzed from the waist down. Chase said, to be honest, he said, I don't remember that as being as earth-shattering as it sounds now. This is an 18-year-old kid. My family and friends were there, and something in me took that as a challenge. My faith definitely experienced some ups and downs during the recovery process. But no matter how down I got, God always gave me the strength to get back up. The people that we stayed with in West Virginia that weekend came to visit me in the hospital once I was stable and coherent and gave me a copy of Jesus Calling, which is a daily devotional that I read to this day. It was moments like that that I realized God's presence. It seemed like every morning that I would wake up, I would need that devotional, and it had to do with something I was experiencing or going through or needed that day. The first time I really remember crying was when my mom told me about all the support, prayers, and fundraisers that was happening back home, not just to my family, but our community as well. It was overwhelming to know that all the people that cared about me and my family, and I'm forever grateful for that because that's one of the things that got me through my ordeal. It started with therapy. I was transported to the Shepherd Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Shepherd's one of the top spinal cord facilities in the nation. Shepherd gave me the therapy and the support that I needed to get back to an independent life. After only two short months at Shepherd, I had enough, regained enough function to be able to stand and walk with the assistance of a walker. It was there that I regained my dream of being a collegiate athlete by introducing me to wheelchair basketball. Growing up playing football, in and ba- in baseball, basketball was never really something that I was any good at or really enjoyed, but wheelchair basketball was a different story. I fell in love with the competitiveness and the physicality of the game, and it's opened up so many doors for me. Through basketball, I was able to get a scholarship to play wheelchair basketball at Edinburgh University of Pennsylvania. In my first year, I was blessed with the opportunity to play for the under-23 Team USA. We traveled to Argentina and Canada for the World Championships. After graduating college, I got the opportunity to go overseas and play professionally in Wiesbaden, Germany. I learned a lot there and improved my game enough to make Team USA in the summer of 2022 where we won the gold. In Brazil for America's Cup. After three years of playing in Germany, I finally back home. Once again, God has blessed me with an amazing new career in pharmaceutical sales, and a great life in Columbia, South Carolina. I can't thank all the people in my life enough for all they've done for me to keep me grounded, motivated, and know that. None of this would be possible without the power of the Lord working. Now that I look back, I see those blessings even more than at the moment. So even if you feel that you've hit rock bottom, these are, God is present. And by depending upon him, he can use you for something great. guys Chase's story. What's your story? Find every face there's a story. Maybe you're here today because you needed to hear his story. Maybe you're here today because you needed to think about your story. Maybe you need something to encourage you to take heart because He has overcome the world. Maybe you need to talk to somebody else who's, who said that, that he or she's got an anti-fragile spirit. I need to talk to them. Maybe you need to share your story with somebody else because you know that they're struggling. We need in this fragile world anti-fragile god-fearing believers who even in spite of diversity are not going to lose heart i've asked the team to come back and just share a reprise of the song we sang earlier i just encourage you to sit still reflect you don't need to sing if you don't want to if you want to sing fine but just at least look at the words listen to the words And let this song, let this encouragement wash over you and just encourage you to take heart. Take heart. He has overcome the world. And I'll come back and pray us out. And now, Father God, God with a big, mighty God, thank you for this power of your presence. Thank you for this opportunity for us to to reflect upon the, the personal stories of our own life as well as the stories of others that inspire us or convict us. that Lord, we know that the common denominator of all of that is you. So we lean upon you, we trust you, we depend upon you, and we, we do take heart, Father, because we know that you are the overcoming God and we surrender to you. And in Jesus' name, everyone agreed, said amen. amen. Have a blessed weekend.